This is episode 81 of the Angry Tech News Podcast for Wednesday, January 31st, 2024. This is the Angry Tech News Podcast at angrytechnews.com. Now your host, the angry programmer with a mic, Brian Bemrose. So some of you out there, the one or two people who might still be paying attention to this show, and I might be being overly optimistic with that one, might realize that I'm still not back on a regular schedule. I'm also badly disorganized. Uh, I can't really blame my work schedule anymore. The Christmas season is done. People are not sending a million packages a day to each other right now. I think I'm just a little bit lazy. So, uh... Yeah, I'm, I'm not well organized. I need to do a bunch of maintenance tasks with regards to my podcasting space. I need to fix my node, which uh, is kind of limping along. I'm getting the small things, but I'm not convinced I'm getting the big things. Uh, I need to fix the payment spreadsheet because PayPal's last update broke it sometime in December. Uh, I know a lot of you have continued donating because I'm getting the emails, but my the script that I wrote way back in the day, back when I decided to download all of the into my headspace is not working and I need to figure out like, I probably should just log into the website and do this shit manually. But again, that takes time. I need to get bemrose.social up and running because since the last show where I encouraged everybody to follow me at no agenda social, now I can't even post from my no agenda social account, which is why there's nobody listening to this because I wasn't even able to send out a message saying that you should listen. Uh, so I, probably could move over to any of a dozen other networks, all of which would have me, but I need to take this opportunity to go at myself. And as you know, I do internet on hard mode, which means I am currently in the process of setting up a Pleroma fork on my own server. If I can get that working and hopefully better than my lightning node, then I will have a new home TBD. TBA to, to be announced, to be, to be, to be tooted, something like that. Uh, I also need to automate all of this so it doesn't take so much time because that time is really what makes me go, I really should do this, but I think I'll go watch, you know, stream another episode of Reacher or whatever it is I'm showing. Actually, total side rant. Um, I'm really glad that I made it through season two of Reacher, which was fantastic because I pretty much can't use Amazon ever again because uh, their prime streaming now forces ads on everything and I don't do ads. So, hey, look, yet another company that I absolutely hate because they don't care that I'm paying them. They just, well, okay, they, there is an option that you can pay them more, but my wife is already paying them more and apparently they have decided that that doesn't translate over to my account. So I have to log out of my own account and log in as her. If I want to watch the no ads that we're already paying for. Okay. You guys don't actually care about any of that stuff. What you care about is the news. I have a lot of things I need to do to make this podcast great, but first I need to make this podcast. From the browser incontinence mode department, Google, has admitted that it's collecting data in user data in incognito mode. Duh. 
In December, Google agreed to settle a $5 billion lawsuit from 2020 regarding its tracking of users in incognito mode, which, despite what you may have heard because they led you to believe that it was useful, still leaks your personal data like an excited puppy. The complaint said that Google deceived people into thinking they could control what information they share. There are no details about the settlement from either side, only that there's a settlement. Uh... Okay, so if you don't know this, here is what incognito mode does in Chrome and in most of the Chrome variants that you might use, uh, Brave, uh, Chromium, Vivaldi, whatever. Get away from me, cat. I don't want you right now. Uh, sorry. <laughs> it blocks third-party cookies. It provides protection from trackers who aren't Google. Uh, it deletes session cookies when you leave, when you close the browser, which does log you out of most websites. And it doesn't record the pages that you visited. So uh, it, they won't be in your browser history. They won't be auto-filled out when you start typing. If you type P-O-R and if you browsed in incognito mode, then your angry spouse is not going to know what type of porn you searched for. I mean, okay, first of all, if you have a spouse that doesn't know whether or not you're into porn, then your marriage might be on the rocks anyway. But what this provides is protection from... A nosy spouse or roommate, you know, in case you're still computing like it's 1996 and there's only one computer in the household, uh, it it protects you from a boss who wants productivity and is you logging into your machine to check what things you've lo you've logged into. Although they know all those sites that you visited anyway because the corporate firewall logs them. But what incognito mode doesn't do is it doesn't delete any files downloaded. It doesn't have any effect on any programs that aren't Chrome that might have got launched. Uh, if if your site is launching an app, well, then incognito mode does not have any effect on that app whatsoever. Uh, it doesn't stop sites from fingerprinting you or tracking you if you log in. It doesn't stop sites from doing anything that you can do during the session. It just dumps the session when you close it. Of course, it also doesn't stop any Google Analytics. If you are logged into Chrome, meaning you've logged into Gmail, YouTube, any Google service at all, then you might in incognito mode appear logged out, but all of your activities are still being tracked to the account that's logged in. You aren't really logged out at all. The Google services have code that detects incognito and chooses not to show your user ID or account details to make you look logged out, but of course they are still collecting them, which is kind of the gist of the whole website or the whole lawsuit. Well, now, presumably in response to this settlement, Google has updated their incognito splash page. Quote, others who use this device won't see your activity so you can browse more privately. This won't change how data is collected by websites you visit and the services they use, including Google. Downloads, bookmarks, and reading items will still be saved. So now they're at least admitting that, yeah, you're being tracked. But I, I score one for honesty in browsing, I guess. Of course, telling people that they're tracking you still falls pretty short of what most people actually want from Google, which is for them to stop tracking you. For that, you still need a different browser. From the That'll Show em department, Apple is finally capitulating to all those people who complain that it's using its monopoly power for unfair rent-seeking in the App Store, but only because a judge is forcing them to. This case goes all the way back to a lawsuit brought against Apple by Epic Games in August of 2020. The complaint ultimately centered around Apple's strict control 
over what apps can run on the platforms that it built. See, without jailbreaking or a developer license for which you have to pay Apple, a user can only install programs on iPhone or iPad that came from the Apple-controlled App Store. And if an app developer does anything that Apple doesn't like, including putting an icon in the wrong place, Apple will pull the app from the store. So they, this is pretty iron-fisted there. If you're a developer who wants to make your app available to iOS users, you have to go through the App Store and you have to jump through Apple's hoops and you have to pay Apple a developer license fee for the privilege of doing it. But when you do so by Apple's rules, you also have to give Apple 30% of your sales for the privilege of being in the App Store. Then if you sell any items or services through your app, a subscription or a, a horse armor or whatever, you have to give Apple 30% of that as well, or they'll kick you out of the app store. Even if Apple has nothing to do with it, even if Apple doesn't have, uh, it doesn't run your webpage, they don't run your payment infrastructure, they didn't design the horse armor, anything. If your app is in the app store, Apple demands it's VIG. This is a digital version of the mob's protection money. Apple is protecting developers from what Apple will do if they don't cough up the money. Apple argues, of course, that taking one third of everything a user shells out is justified because of the immense value of the App Store, actually their words, basically arguing that a third of the value users get from any app is the amazing App Store experience they got before they ever opened the app. Imagine if Apple was actually putting in an hour of work on making the App Store better for every two hours that developers worked on apps. How awesome would it be then? But in my opinion and in Epic's opinion, hence the lawsuit, their argument falls apart because developers don't have the option of offering an app minus the app store. So you'll never know. There's no AB testing. There's no choice. There's no user choice at all. There's certainly no developer choice. One key provision of the app store policies is an anti-steering provision, which prevents app developers from even mentioning payment methods outside of Apple's strict control inside of their app. The anti-steering provision was added to the App Store as a way to close that pesky loophole where a developer who wanted to keep what they rightly earned would simply tell users to go to the website and buy a subscription rather than offering it through Apple's very highly controlled system. Epic filed their lawsuit when Apple removed Fortnite, at the time the hottest game in all creation, from the App Store because they were redirecting people to the Epic Store to buy some pointless in-game bling. Well. For all of Epic's complaints, the judge in the U.S. District Court for Northern California agreed with Apple on all but the anti-steering provision and issued an injunction telling Apple to stop blocking developers from linking to third-party payment sites. The judge decided not to declare Apple to be a monopoly, assumedly because they arrived in court without the telltale, telltale monocle and top hat. It's the only thing I can think of. Apple immediately appealed the ruling to the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals, which upheld the injunction. Then they appealed to the U.S. Supreme Court, calling it unconstitutional to not let the mega corporation do whatever it wants. Last week, the U.S. Supreme Court declined to hear the case, letting the injunction on anti-steering provisions stand. Therefore, as the, the Apple's appeals have run out and Apple is now required to not kick developers in the nads if they mention you can buy things on a website. And so... This week, Apple is finally bowing to developers, popular opinion, and the court's authority by rescinding their oppressive 30% VIG and opening iOS up all to, to all apps. Ha! Just kidding. They're making the minimum concessions they possibly can. Apps are now allowed 
on iOS and iPadOS only in the United States to link out to an external website that takes payments and only via a special API, which pops up a big scary dialogue box warning users that they are about to leave the Apple controlled garden into the big scary outside world where there might be scammers and fraudsters and we can't protect you. And wouldn't you rather just stay here where it's warm and cozy and we can tell you what is safe and what it isn't. And we also collect 30%. Wouldn't that be so much better than the scary and dangerous freedom in order to get access to this permissive API, developers must apply for and get approval from Apple to operate third-party payments. The link to payment may only be shown one time and in a quote, single dedicated location and never ever in a pop-up dialogue box or anywhere that the user might notice it. I mean, or anywhere on the app store page. And of course, because the judge didn't specifically prohibit it, Apple is still collecting their VIG, even though Developers are now going to a third-party app store. Developers who direct iOS users to an outside app page, who maintain their own payment system, their own account infrastructure, indeed do all of the work associated with user interaction, according to Apple's new terms, still owe Apple nearly a third of their revenues for the privilege. Because F you, that's why. Apple's updated terms demand a commission between 12 and 27% of all revenues, depending on the size of the business and the level of subscription to Apple's kickbacks program generated by iOS users for all third-party purchases made by anybody who operates an app that is in the app store. Developers are expected to submit monthly reports to Apple detailing their full third-party store proceeds and Apple reserves the right to audit the records at any time. Engadget called this a significant concession for Apple, who have up until now operated under the shut up where Apple bitch model. And I suppose under that it is a significant concession. But the company continues to enjoy the fanatic loyalty of millions of Apple users who continue to support their favorite platform, no matter how evil the company might be. I'm convinced that Apple could update the terms of service to require users to give a quart of blood and their firstborn offspring every time they launch the app store. And most of the users would just nod their heads and say, well, it just works. From the printing money department, Hewlett Packard, a company that used to have a reputation for making pretty good computers. If you're old enough to remember the 1980s, is now known only as that printer company. Who can blame them for focusing on what works? When their fledgling inkjet printer business took off, someone came up with a great idea. Sell the printers at cost or below, and then sell the ink at an unbelievable markup. After all, people only buy a new printer every few years, but you have to buy ink for that printer every couple months. No matter how often you print, it turns out, as people who print only three times a year learn the hard way when those $50 inkjet cartridges dry out and need to be replaced after only three print jobs. And so HP fell into pretty successful model for printing money, as it were. So successful that HP has faced lawsuit after lawsuit for anti-competitive practices for their printer DRM. Most recently, a lawsuit came up uh, two weeks ago because HP is disabling a printers entirely if it detects a third party ink cartridge. Okay. I have to back up a moment. Articles, every article I found, the first one I found was Ars Technica and you know, they like to be sensational. Articles have been using the word bricked because it sounds sensational. I can't find any evidence of printers actually being bricked. 
Uh, it is a, in computing, bricked is a reasonably precise term used to mean that the device is functionally permanently disabled and therefore from now on can only be used as a brick. If you brick a computer in computing, what it means is you have to throw the thing away and buy a new one because it's only useful for holding a door open. Well, the articles are using the word brick. The printers really seem to be only disabled until you shell out for an expensive HP brand cartridge and then they come back to life, which is better than your printer being bricked, but still a pretty crappy business. HP, of course, gives some marketing mumbo jumbo about how there's an uh, some kind of expensive and complicated circuitry in the chips in the printer cartridge and how it could damage the expensive and complicated circuitry in the printer if anyone but HP is allowed to make those circuits. But nobody on the planet believes that bullcrap. The only thing the cartridge needs to know is when to spit out ink and what color and maybe a sensor to tell the printer how much ink is left. That technology has been solved for more than 30 years. Everything else they put into those cartridge is over-engineering. The lawsuit, by the way, demands that HP disable this behavior, which they call dynamic security by the company. And they in, the lawsuit insists they continue to sell ink cartridges on demand rather than the ink subscription plans that the company seems to be pushing everyone to. Last week, and this, this made some big news at Engadget, CEO Enrique Lores said the quiet part out loud. This is something we announced a few years ago that our goal was to reduce the number of what we call unprofitable customers because every time a customer buys a printer, it's an investment for us. We're investing in that customer. And this, if this customer doesn't print enough or doesn't use our supplies, it's a bad investment. Okay, me, I'm a dyed in the wool capitalist. I truly believe the free market is the one and only path to a prosperous society. The more freedom, the more prosperity for everyone, full stop. But when naive, privileged, armchair socialists throw around terms like late stage capitalists and blame all of the world's problems on corporate greed, as opposed to say pride, envy, gluttony, or sloth as exemplified by their side. This is the kind of corporate greed they're talking about. HP is using this kind of scummy, amoral business practices that are the reason why we have antitrust laws on the books because companies were this crappy back in the 1890s and the federal government stepped in and said, we need to stop this. HP is doing the same kind, like being exactly as evil. I don't know if these lawsuits are going to go anywhere, and I certainly don't have enough faith in government to think that the government will put a stop to it. They'd have to remember that they're supposed to work for the people long enough to take action, and that's an uncomfortable thought for a bureaucrat. What I do know is that the incentive-based free market solution to this is very simple. People, stop buying HP products. And I'm not talking about a boycott. Boycotts are short-term organized and often funded by activists in order to punish a company for a specific behavior and spill a lot of journalist ink while doing it. Participating in a boycott means avoiding a particular brand or product, even though it might be the best deal, even though you might want it because you need to make a point. Once a boycott has run their course, the press gets bored. The activists move on to whatever is on their next list of things to screw up. Everything goes back to normal. And boy, didn't that company learn their lesson. I can continue buying th from them again now. That's not what I'm suggesting here. I am saying that to most people, it is no longer a rational value to use HP products. By buying an HP printer, you are being locked into subscribing to HP Inc. at whatever price HP decides to charge a lot, if you've noticed for as long as you continue to print with that printer. 
That cost can easily be several hundreds of dollars a year, effectively the cost of buying a new printer over and over again. How about instead you look into any other provider of services, one which allows you to shop around, optimize your resources. If you print infrequently, it's easy enough to visit Kinko's, Staples, or Office Depot. Or, crazy thought, here's an idea that's been around since the 1990s. Whatever happened to the paperless office? Even if you must own a printer, you can get a brand new Epson for the price of three HP ink refills. Either way, HP is not it anymore. They think they have a monopoly and they think they have you locked in and they think they can make you pay whatever they ask. This is a company that needs to go down, not in some flashy glitz of activism and press that ultimately makes more people pay attention to it and strengthen their brand, but in a wither on the vine sort of way, because their products are overpriced crap and nobody should want them anymore. From the You Will Own Nothing department, video game maker Ubisoft is restructuring its video games service. Short version, they're basically going to stop selling video games and are now offering their entire library as a subscription. Older games offered un are offered under the Ubisoft Classics subscription at $8 a month. And if you want the newest offerings, they have the more expensive Ubisoft Premium tier for $18 a month. To quote the headline from TechDirt, Ubisoft says gamers should just accept not owning their games. Again, quiet part out loud, the director of subscriptions for Ubisoft said, we looked at the consumer behavior and how people were interacting with our offer and we saw an opportunity to evolve. We looked at how gamers engage with our different games and we see our back catalog is still very active. So we saw an opportunity to offer these worlds to our consumers at a lower fee. At a lower fee? How about... We already bought the game. Stop charging us over and over again. This is kind of the definition of rent seeking. So what this means is that Ubisoft, holders of many copyright monopolies, sees an opportunity for rent seeking to gouge consumers by pushing what was once a purchase into a subscription. And hey, didn't I just do this story a couple minutes ago with a different company? Okay, you know what? Take my entire HP rant from before. Swap out the word Ubisoft on, er, in the word Ubisoft and assume that I just said all of that again. It's not like you need to hear me go off the handle on the crappiness of monopolistic corporations twice in one episode of Angry Tech News. And if you do, well, that's why your podcast player has a rewind button. Angry Tech News is produced on the value for value model. We don't take sponsors, we don't play ads, and we don't charge you to listen. If you received some value from listening to this show, please send some value back. Uh, however it is that works, I guess. I, I hope my note is up right now, but if not, maybe. Uh, I, I know that the PayPal is working. I, you know what? Just send love and light or something because I, I do this. I have a job now. Uh, I do this mostly for the audience. I do this so that people, I know that that my anger is is being appreciated by, you know, the three of you who are listening uh, <laughs> if you can go to angry tech news and click the donate button, I just went off my script badly. Send what this episode was worth to you, whether it's $10, $25 or any spare third party ink cartridges you've got. <laughs> That's it for now. I'm Ryan Bemrose, the angry programmer with a mic. I'll be back next time with more angry tech news. This has been angry tech news with the angry programmer, Ryan Bemrose at angrytechnews.com Stay angry Stay angry 
stay angry. Oh crap, I said 2023. That's okay, I'll go back and edit. Nobody will even know.